point I can start. Hello, everybody, and welcome. See, they do it funny, and they're not supposed to, because every video I start, Doug says, I'm laughing, silly, and it's not a good way to start a video. And he, Anyway, thank you for starting like that. Make up, let's start again. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> that would be funny to have somebody come running in and do this and run off, wouldn't it? We've got to set that up sometime <clears throat> and act like it's a blooper. Okay, um, welcome as we continue on. In uh, the study we're doing through the New Testament, we've, uh, we're two and a half years in now. We've been going through it pretty much a chapter at a time. We started with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, John. Then we did Luke. And then we did the book of Acts. And we took them in that order because Luke wrote Acts as well. And it's good to tie them together. And when you go through Acts like that a chapter at a time, you get to see the missionary journeys. And, and so we came out of the book of Acts and we started working on Paul's letters in the order that we believe he wrote them. Uh, and remember, Paul had started churches, and we, we were with him. We weren't with him, but we studied as he went to the... I hope it felt like you were with him. As he went from town to town and the events that he had, and he started churches in all these places. And then he often has to leave very quickly. Sometimes he doesn't have any option because he's being, you know, kicked out of town, run out of town. Uh, and the churches there need some guidance. They need a little help. And so... Um, uh, Paul sends guys to him sometimes when he can. He'll send Timothy or somebody out there to help. Titus, he sends when we'll see that. But um, <clears throat> he also writes this series of letters back to the churches answering questions um, that have come to him from these churches and from these areas. And so when you, when you look at Scripture, you kind of have to know that these letters are all written for a purpose. And, and while they still are extremely applicable to us today... You, you want to try and have some context for them as you read them so that you don't make them say things they're not saying. And, um, and so you, you have to know here that to the Corinthians, Paul is addressing a series of questions that came to him by a group of people. <clears throat> we think he was in Ephesus at this time. And he's writing back to the church that he started there in Corinth. And he's addressing issues that have come up. And um, we've, we've already seen they've had some pretty significant issues um, with immorality and some other things. Remember, they were in a very licentious, was the word that's used to describe area. Corinth was known for it being off the charts. Um, it was filled with uh, idol worship, um, which tended to be extremely demonic and, and overly um, perverse in the way that they... Uh, um, presented whatever worship they did, and it impacted the entire culture, as you can imagine. And so um, the culture has an impact on the church sometimes instead of the other way around, and Paul's having to deal with some issues. And he's saying, okay, these are the issues we have to deal with. <clears throat> he also uh, is dealing with um, a division, lots of divisions over who they were following, which he already dealt with. And then they, and now there's a doctrinal issue that he deals with in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And we, we already did eight and nine together the last time we met. I know it was a few weeks ago because we kind of stopped for Christmas. But uh, we're going to pick that up and, and finish the discussion on these doctrinal issues today. So the dispute that's going on is about food sacrificed to idols. And going to these feasts that were held there. And the... the uh, Question has come to Paul, who's right? Because the, the, the groups have divided themselves this way. There's a group 
who has said, um, it doesn't make any difference because idols are nothing in this world. They're make-believe. They don't matter. It doesn't count. And so we have freedom to go and do whatever we want to do because they don't mean anything, and we know that now from their study of the Scripture. The other group um, is very uncomfortable with that because of all that that stuff represents and, and the, the connection to the demonic and everything, and they, they don't feel like they have the same freedom. And here comes this big now doctrinal issue in the church that's kind of ripping it apart. And so what they want from Paul is to tell them who's right, and that's not how Paul handles the situation, which is, which is what you have to get out of 8, 9, and 10. You see, there's something more important than being right, and that's loving well. It's not that being right doesn't matter. It's just that, see, this impacts us today, and it's why there's so many relational issues and conflicts. There's a right and a wrong, but if we're... Have you ever been stuck in a situation where all you really cared about was being right? Does that ever work for anybody? (laughs) I know it doesn't work for me at all, and yet I'll still get stuck there sometimes. No, I'm right, and I know it, and I'm going to stick to the point when that's not really the point. It would have... What was more important was loving well. And this is true relationally, which makes it true in the church. And, and again, you have to know from this that it doesn't mean there's not doctrine and that there's not truth. It just means that Paul, rather than um, give either side a club to beat the other with to death, really kind of says to both of them, really what, what should happen here is that because you're brothers and sisters in Christ, you should learn how to love each other and give each other some room. And, and make sure that that's the most important thing. Because we have to remember that, that Jesus not only brought truth, which he certainly does, he, he also brought love. This was a whole new dynamic for the world and that area and all areas. That, that it, it wasn't just truth, which is huge. Don't, don't ever hear me say it's not about that. But it's, it's that he brought love in as well. And the impact of the church on the world depends on both elements, truth and love. If we get messed up with, with either direction, we, we have no impact. Um, if it's all truth, it'll come out without grace and mercy, and we won't impact anybody because they'll shut us down, which is kind of where we're at now. If we, if we swing way too far to the other side and it's all love, 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 and there is no truth, then we lose our impact too because that's not right either. There is. So it's how it's brought into the world that makes a difference. And, and so when the church is operating the way it's supposed to, there'll be truth, there'll be love, and it'll be evidenced by transformed lives. I say that all the time. That's how you know things are going in the right direction. People are being changed. That, that you, because see, the, the thing is, we'll never get all this stuff right, perfectly right. No one does. Paul, Paul says that. No one has perfect knowledge. Nobody's got it all figured out. We've all got some errors in there. And if we, if we get so focused on trying to be um, sort of perfect doctrinally, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely miss it in the love area. If we get so consumed by just trying to love well, we'll we won't address things that need to be addressed lovingly. And when you get off on either side, what you don't see is the Spirit of God moving and changing lives. But when you see the Spirit of God moving, it means that there's an environment of truth and love that allows people to connect with God and the Spirit of God, who's way better at teaching people truth, is in, in the midst. And he's bringing us along. And I, I hope, you know, I think we should all be able to relate to that. I, I know my own life, um, you know, as someone who has to study this stuff regularly, I still find that I'm growing all the time in the way uh, I think it's applied. 
and how it looks. And, um, you know, the, the, sometimes there's a tendency to get very black and white on issues that just can't be. And, and so Paul is bringing that all into the discussion. Now, part of the problem that we have in Corinth, and, and you're going to see that in, because you may wonder why chapter 10 starts out the way it does, because it's pretty heavy, is that the, the group in Corinth, as messed up as they are, has been tremendously gifted by the Spirit of God. I mean, it's just huge what's happening in Corinth. And the people in Corinth, because of the spiritual giftedness, have begun to think that they're, they're blessed and so that they're right. And it's, see, it's, it's not the issue. And so they think they can do pretty much whatever they want because they're blessed. And Paul's going to, um, as we hop into verse, chapter 10 here, he's going to say, okay, um, you are really blessed. But I've got to tell you about another group that was really blessed, and that's the people of Israel, and, and let's see what happened to them. And so that's kind of what happens here in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 10. I'm going to read it all, 33 verses, and then we'll chat about it again for a few minutes. And you will know everything you need to know. Not. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. And following, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. Notice that's one of the situations they have going on in Corinth. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out. So that you can stand up under it. That's one of those verses I don't usually stop when I'm reading. You should know that verse. Sometimes we think that the temptation is too great, there's no way out. Um, if we're living by trying to do the next right thing, that's a promise. Nothing, there's no temptation that also doesn't come with God providing a way out. It's always there. You may not want to see it. You might close your eyes to it because you really want to go the temptation way. It is always there. Therefore... Verse 14, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving, for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. 
You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever's put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered to a sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the men who told you, and for the man who told you, and for conscience' sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am, seeking my, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they will be saved. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So, let's remember now, the main doctrinal issue is food, sacrifice to idols, and the celebrations themselves. And that the cultural ramifications are such that um, these, these sort of big festivals would have been a huge part of the culture. And um, the, the question that part of the group Christians raised was, since idols are nothing at all in this world, that's back in 1 Corinthians 8.4, since they, we know that they have no, they're just nothing, then we can go to these things just to be a part of them and it doesn't mean anything to us. And Paul said, yeah, at some level you're right. At, at some level, that's correct, because they really don't mean anything. However, he says, um, we know that these sacrifices um, are being used by the people making them towards demonic powers, which are real. And should you really be involved with that? That's the question he's asking back. As believers, as representatives of Jesus, should you be involved in that process? And that's what he's saying. That's what I want you to think about. And he says it, it could be permissible, because they've... They've found some scriptures and stuff. They've been saying it could be permissible, but is it right? Is it correct? Is it beneficial? Is it constructive? And, and he, he says, listen, all these things. And he picks up the, the meat thing that's sacrificed to idols. See, the, the thing was, a lot of the meat that was used in these celebrations was then sold. Um, because the, the priests of these false temples would be given part of the meat. Um, and then they would turn around and sell it to the Meat stores for cash. Meat stores. <laughs> Whatever. Meat markets. Is that better? I don't know. Meat shop. Meat. The big flashing meat signs. They would take their meat there and they would sell it. So they could get some money. And then those shops would sell it to people. And that's where that's how they... And so the, the next question was, well, if we know this meat's been sacrificed to idols, is it okay for us to eat? And what Paul says is, look... It shouldn't make any difference. He says food is morally neutral. He does. That's what he's saying. However, he said, let's say that you go to someone's house who's a non-believer and they invite you in for a meal and they don't make a big issue of the meat being sacrificed or not, then don't bring it up. It's not a big issue. Just eat and enjoy. Which is, um, I always think about that. I think that verse is funny. I was in a mission trip one time in Costa Rica and I uh, got invited to this pastor's house way out in the middle of nowhere. And it was cool, and they just put food in front of us, and, and so I ate it. And uh, 
I'm like, hey, it's pretty good. What is this? It was monkey brain. <laughs> you want some more? No, thanks. <laughs> I'm full. Really? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I t- I'll tell you another story. Okay, it's worth it. It's a good story. You want to hear a story? Yeah. Okay. So, because sometimes you need discernment. <clears throat> I was on a mission trip to Cuba, and um, we, were, we were flying through Mexico. And I always went with mission from our government, so don't think I was sneaking into Cuba. I wasn't. I had a treasury license. But you still couldn't, at the time, direct flights, the charters, sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't. So you could always go through Mexico or Jamaica or the Bahamas. And so I was, I was this particular time I was flying through Mexico. And um, we, we, you would land in Mexico. Most of the time you wouldn't even get off the plane. They'd take off again. And they take you to Havana. But sometimes you'd have to get off for an hour or something. Anyway, we're in Mexico. <clears throat> stopped. And um, something happens to the plane. So we can't get, the plane can't take us the rest of the way. So rather than send us back to the States, the, the, um, they sent over a Cuban plane. And, and okay. Now, and God bless them for doing it. But... Their maintenance standards are different than ours because there's an embargo there and they can't get most of the stuff they need to maintain these planes. And so, like, the tires are bald. And it's a big jet. And, and so they come in and get us, and I'm thinking, Lord, you know what? And, and I, I felt like it was okay to go. And it was one of the wildest experiences. I don't know if you ever I told you this. But, like, you got on this plane. And you know how when you're walking down the, in the, on a plane in the aisle between the seats that it's normally the floor feels pretty firm this thing was saggy and soft i'm like well that can't be good so anyway i sit down and i've got a group of pastors with me there's five or six of i've been going to cuba for a while when we went so okay whatever we'll just pray and uh, i still never forget too wildest thing you know when we get on planes and fly there's a lot of rules and everybody's strapped in and the, the stewards have pointed at exits and shown you how to do things I'm serious. The, the, the stewards and stuff and half of the passengers were standing up in the aisle smoking when the plane took off. I'm like, do you know it's taking off? Boom, and they're falling all over and stuff. Oh, no, I don't make that up. Okay. So we get up. It's not a real long flight um, from there to there. You know, it's probably another hour. And so they bring us food. This is where I'm getting to discernment and food and eating. Everything's brought for you. They bring these sandwiches. And, and I've got my friend next to me, and, and he's sitting next to me, and, and uh, I've got to tell you the whole story. So anyway, so, so and, and maybe he'll watch it on TV because he's up. I can't tell you who he is. Um, they bring these sandwiches, and look, you know, I don't know a lot of things, but I know food. Just look at me, okay? I understand food. And I look at the sandwich, and I'm like, oh, don't eat that. There was something not right with that sandwich. And I said to my friend, don't eat that sandwich. He goes, man, I'm really hungry. I'm telling you, don't eat that sandwich. He smells it and stuff. No, it's okay. I'm hungry. I ain't eating it, man. Well, I'm going to eat. So he eats the sandwich. Okay, so just let that be known. All right. And the flight arrives, obviously, safely. And we get to Cuba and everything's fine. And we're going out the next day um, uh, to uh, Pinar del Rio from Havana, which is like a three-hour drive. Uh, but but somebody had gotten in and said, hey, we want to bring some people with us because normally we rent a, we'd rent a nice little air-conditioned bus. Hey, we're going to suffer, but not too much. You know what I mean? And we'd get ourselves out there, and we were preaching at a seminary uh, on the kingdom of God for like three days. Um, so 
anyway, they, they said, no, we're going to arrange transportation for you, and it won't cost you any more than it would to rent the air-conditioned bus, and we can get some other people. All right, fine. So we, we get up, and we, we go downstairs, and they've got this big school bus, no air-conditioning, and it's packed. <laughs> it's just full. And there's an entire brass band in the back of this bus. And they're happy because they're going on a trip, you know what I mean? And they, it's a bus, man, and they got the things cranked, and there's drums, and they're doing Latin worship, and it's all good, but woo, woo, and it's like, woo. so, so we're sitting, and they're, they're kind, they've left us the front six rows or something, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a chair, they're all packed in like six to a row, I got a chair to myself, but anyway, right in front of me is my friend that ate the sandwich the day before, and if you know my friend, he's really together. I mean, he always is dressed, not, nothing like me. He's dressed nice all the time. He looks, you know, he's got it, he's together. And I, I look, and uh, I just see in the back of his head, but I notice he's wringing wet. And I'm like, if anybody's going to be sweating on that trip, it would be me, and I'm not, it's not that hot. And I think, well, that don't look right. So I say, hey, man, you okay? He turns around real slow, No. <laughs> And he's a mess. And he's all white. So what's the matter? It's my stomach. <laughs> okay. Now, what you also need to know is, uh, unlike our travels, the roads that there's no rest stops, there's no rest areas. There's just town, old highway, town, <laughs> and there's miles of nothingness. And he's he's got it. He shouldn't eat a sandwich. He's a mess, and he's and he's cramping, and so. I said, oh, okay, listen, I, you're, you're probably not going to appreciate this, but you're going to like what I have. And, and I reach into my bag and I pull out a roll of, t- roll of toilet paper because they don't have it in the country. He's like, what am I supposed to do with that? I said, well, <laughs> you'll figure it out. <laughs> in like five minutes, man, he, he hurriedly wobbles up to the bus driver, pull over, pull over. And, and she's, you know, he's got it bad. And there's no, there's no dignity. <laughs> And, and, and he's, he's out. I'm sorry. Well, you don't, you picture whatever you want. And so, he comes back in about five minutes later. He's a beaten man. You know what I mean? And, and like four times on the way out, we have to stop for this poor guy. And I never look, I never watch, and I, I, I try and think it's, I'm, I'm trying to be like Noah's sons covering his nakedness, you know, the right thing to do. But the reality is, I'm afraid I'm next. <laughs> that uh, even though I didn't eat the sandwich, I hadn't put it together. That and this was this was the height of embarrassment, and and uh, and so anyway, we get to the seminary. I don't see him for the three days that we're there. He's that sick, um, he, and that the, the where we ended up wasn't much better than the side of the road. And I and we 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 preach these to all these seminarians for days and lots of ministry stuff. And I I finally see him when we're about to go back, you know, and he's like ten pounds lighter and he's a skinny guy anyway. And and then I really did say this. I, said, I told you not to eat that sandwich. <laughs> so that has nothing to do with First Corinthians ten. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's okay. Okay. You want more stories? Yeah, I know. All right. There's lots of stories on the trip, but no more tonight. Okay. Maybe next week. Remind me, I've probably told you this one. Remind me to tell you about the bats next week. All right.
Now, so the issue here is about food sacrifice to idols. Who's right? That's all they care about. And what Paul says, remember, he said, look, don't approach things from a, um, a viewpoint of superior knowledge because it's not enough. Um, because it, on every side of a disagreement, there's likely to be some truth. That's something we all have to, in, in context of relationship, you know how that works? You hear one side of a story and you go, oh, and you want to side with them. And then you hear the other side of the story and it's completely different. And yet there's some truth in both sides. Same thing in these things. So, you know, um, knowledge puffs up. We need to be careful with spiritual pride. A lot of times that's what people end up with. Um, so if we develop the attitude that we're always right and we have it all figured out, we become just like the Pharisees, which is no good. So Paul says, look, this is, this is a big deal. You've got to approach this thing in love and, and get that together with grace and mercy. And he's saying, look, the, the, the idols are true. It's nothing at all. But is it really good to be associated in these demonic practices? And what does that really look like? And if you go to somebody's house and they offer you, eat it. But if there's another brother there who says, hey, this food's been sacrificed to idols and it offends him, then you shouldn't eat it for his conscience sake, not for yours. You're fine. But if it's going to bother him, Paul says, then don't do it. And you think, yeah, but I'm free. I have freedom to do it. You do. But in that context, then you should put it aside for his sake. And, and that's what his ultimate line is, is, look, it doesn't mean it's not right or wrong. It's not that you can or can't. It's that if it impacts someone in a negative way for the gospel and for the kingdom of God, then don't do it in that situation. And that's how you're to govern yourselves. He said it's more important to think of others in that case than you. And, and that God's bigger than those things. And that's why you don't do it. In everything, he says, in everything you do, whether it's food or drink, you're supposed to do it all to glorify God. So it's not about freedom, right and wrong. Permissible, not permissible. It's about in the context of that situation, if someone there is going to be offended by it, then don't do it. What's the, why would you? Why do you have to? To prove a point? That's what they're making. They're making a point. Well, we can do it, so we're going to do it. We don't care what anybody else thinks. And that's when Paul says, that's where your problem is. It's not about right and wrong. It's that you don't care about offending your brother. And if they're not able to deal with it, then don't do it. It's not, it's not that you're right or shouldn't. Or it's just in that case. Don't do it. So there's, there's five things. One, two, three, four, five. Five things, real quick, about these chapters that you need to know. About when we're having disagreements in the context. Everything that we do as we approach things has to start with a commitment to love. Even if we're absolutely convinced that our brothers and sisters are wrong doctrinally, we're not released from an obligation to love them. That, that will cover a lot of stuff. has to start there. You never get released from an obligation to love them. Um, secondly, we still have to seek the truth. And, and we can continue to love people on both sides of the issue while the truth is resolved, while the Holy Spirit truly reveals truth. Third, um, you have to understand this, too, that our, our understanding of one doctrine cannot cause us to justify ignoring other teachings in the Word of God. And that's where this stuff gets really... See, sometimes you'll get one thing right, but it still has to balance in with other scriptural truth. And there's a balance. And sometimes they look like they don't balance, and they do, and you've got to figure it out. And that's what you wait for the Spirit to do. So all truths in the Word of God have to be held in balance with each other, in the Word of God. Um, the most important thing is loving well, not being right. That's kind of point one, but I said it a different way. And then here's the big deal. Here's why Paul can deal with this in such a loving way. Because he even commends the people who are wrong that he's thankful that they've been studying the scripture to try and look and see what's right. He's really good at loving them along. Um, when we deal with any of these situations, we have to have the premise that all Christians are expected to grow. And none of us 
none of us is doctrinally perfectly correct now. And if you hang on to that, see, it gives you a lot of room to love people. Because you, you, you understand that some of these things have to come over time. As he reveals them to him. If our expectation, if I, my expectation in this room is that every single person here is doctrinally correct, we're in big trouble because we're not. But, but if I, my expectation is that we're all by the Spirit in an environment where we're loved well enough to wrestle through these things together, that we can continue to grow, I fully believe that in the Spirit. And our lives will be transformed. And so the Spirit of God is able to work in us and transform us. That premise helps us to love people even if we differ somewhat doctrinally. And, and all of us have a lot to learn. Uh, all of us have an incomplete grasp of truth. But if we continue to love well, the transforming power of God will continue to work in our midst, helping us to have a more complete knowledge of the awesome truth of God. And that's really what those three chapters of Corinthians are all about. And that's enough for today. If you're watching on television or by video, thank you for watching. God bless you all. If there's anything you can do, we can do for you, call us, write us, email us. We'll see what we can do, but we're going to close tonight with prayer. So God bless you all.